Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Well, runners will take off in the 2018 New York City Marathon on Sunday, November 4th. While finishing that 26.2-mile race is a big achievement, training to run the race is essential, and runners log in many miles and go through lots of running shoes before they get to the starting line. But the marathon is just one day. Many of us are running and working out constantly, and all that activity can be tough on our feet. Add to that our love for stilettos and fancy shoes, and keeping our feet healthy can be a challenge. Dr. Casey Ann Pittich, a.k.a. Dr. Glass Slipper, is a foot specialist and an attending surgeon at Fifth Avenue Surgery Center and Gramercy Surgery Center in Manhattan. She also volunteers her time as a medical volunteer for the New York City marathons and half marathons. She's going to give us tips on how we can keep walking and running without pain and injury. Casey, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, the New York City Marathon is coming up on November 4th, but women run all year round. Uh, so what do you suggest for the best running shoes? So I I have been practicing for about 10 years, and I right now work in a specialized, a little bit specialized sports medicine office. Um, from my experience and personal experience, I am not endorsed by any shoe company that do not um, accept money from them. Uh, just from my personal experience, I find that my top three brands are Asics, Brooks, and Adidas. Um, a newer brand, too, that I've recommended to patients is Hoka One. So, uh, how, I mean, how often do you suggest that uh, we replace our running shoes? Uh, I recommend every 500 miles. Okay. So, if you are running, like, say you're running um, five miles a day and you run five days a week, so you just have to do the math. Um, running shoes will, will wear out depending on how much you run on them. Mm-hmm. But at least at least once a year. Because sometimes like so say you look at your sneaker and you put them put them on like a tabletop and look at your sneaker and see what the wear is like. If you see that on the side of the shoes that they look sort of like tilted or unbalanced, then they should be replaced because that is causing like a tendon pull in your legs and your feet. And that can, that can attribute to injury. So that's really important for something to look for. Now, do you need different shoes for different activities uh, for cross training or playing tennis or doing different activities? Should we have different shoes? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so a running sneaker is, a, is should be lightweight. Uh, a cross trainer is something that you need for more lateral movement, like lateral stability. Um, a crushinger is similar to like a tennis shoe. So in tennis, I'm a tennis player, so I can relate to that. So like when when someone plays tennis, they have a lot of side to side motion, and that is generally what a cross training shoe will do. And cross training is by definition. Um, another exercise that you're not doing besides your main exercise. So it's more for like toning and, and uh, strengthening. Um, so cross trainers shoes should have more lateral stability than a running shoe. What is the most common foot problem that you're treating patients for these days? 
oh man, I tried <laughs> Long list, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a long list, yes. Um, a really common one that I see every day, it's always coming in, is plantar fasciitis. Have uh, you ever heard of that? Yes, I've heard of it. Yes. Um, I don't, have you ever experienced it personally? Uh, no, but my husband did, yes. Oh, Very okay. painful. Kind of, so painful. And you know what, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of a shock to patients or a person when they get it because you can't really attribute it to any injury or, you know, one day you wake up and your heel hurts so bad when you go to step down on it and it's actually kind of scary. And it's very common. <laughs> I don't know how your husband handled it, but... Uh, how's he feeling? Is he feeling any better? Uh, yes. I mean, it was a while ago, but he did have, uh, a, he had a, a blue device that he used to stretch his foot, and he did yeah. have a cortisone shot at one point. The cortisone shot seemed to work wonders, and I don't think he's had a problem since then. Good. It, it really, it does help. You need a, you need a few treatments for it. Um, not The cortisone alone does help with pain, but definitely some stretching, like you said, and um, some anti-inflammatories. The combination really helps. Mm-hmm. And avoiding flat shoes and avoiding walking barefoot if you get pain in your feet. That's a big, big thing. So how about bunions? Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of that? I see a lot of bunions, yeah, yeah. I do. And um, can, can they be treated with anything other than surgery? So bunions can be treated conservatively. Um, there are options if you don't want surgery. And you should always try conservative treatments before considering having surgery on your bunions, um, just at least for a few months, six months to a year. Um, so what I do recommend is having an x-ray just okay. to see if this actually is a bunion um, because it might be something else. And so once you have the x-ray, a doctor can explain to you what it is. And when you do know that you have a bunion, sometimes the joint can actually be arthritic. Um, so what can happen with any joint in your body, your knee, your hip, you can have a steroid injection into the joint if it is painful. And that can buy you some time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just making sure that you have supportive shoes, that you're wearing supportive shoes. If you're wearing, like, incredibly flat to the ground shoes, um, non-supportive, and you're standing and doing a lot of walking in shoes that are super flat and don't have support, that can make the bunion worse. Uh, some, some research does show that wearing really pointy shoes can also attribute to the bunion formation, but a lot of times bunions are formed because it's a genetic predisposition, um, meaning that it's hereditary and your ligaments in your body, the things that hold your bones together and structure, mm-hmm. are all dependent on your genetics. So if someone is very flexible, like some of these gymnasts that we see um, on TV, they're probably very flexible, so they probably have, like, a looser ligament, so their bones are more subject to move around in their foot, if that makes sense. Yes. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so if women want want to wear, you know, the high shoes, the stilettos, and these days we're seeing the really, really thin stilettos, 
Do you have a recommendation uh, on what type they should wear or if they should limit how long they wear them each day? Yes, um, that's a good question. I think that I do recommend, I love, by the way, I love shoes. I love heels. I love looking pretty. And women do, you know, we, we love our heels. They're beautiful. They're, they're, they're a piece of art. They're fashion. We love them. But you should limit the wear of them because um, the taller the heel, the more it puts pressure on your, your metatarsals, on the balls of your feet. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to a lot of issues like back problems, knee problems. So if you do have, you know, a stiletto that you want to wear, just like limit your time wearing it. I would say no more than three hours if you can. Um, and just, you know, give your feet a rest after those three hours, do some calf stretches, and also alternate between the heel heights. So like, hey, what, you know, one event you want to go to, you want to wear your three-inch heels, and another day you want to wear your two-inch heels. So alternate, um, because our calves can actually, um, they can be overstretched or understretched mm-hmm. from wearing different heel heights. If you want to wear a really, like a good heel is usually a wedge. Because it'll um, balance out your body weight, and it'll allow like your um, body weight to be more stable. Well, speaking of better heels, wear. Speaking of weight, does does mm-hmm. weight have a, an impact on foot problems? Uh, it can. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It doesn't necessarily though. Um, going back to plantar fasciitis, sometimes. Well, this is you know. Sometimes when patients get pregnant mm-hmm. and they gain weight, this is a common complaint amongst pregnant women that their feet hurt, they end up with plantar fasciitis. So you can say that if someone gains weight, a lot of weight, um, can attribute to something like plantar fasciitis or even like ankle pain. Um, any kind of additional weight on any joint in the body will you know, be an issue. The losing weight does help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, falls can be a real issue, especially as you as we age. Uh, mm-hmm. Any recommendations there for uh, avoiding falls? Avoiding falls. Mm-hmm. Um. Does it have I, to do with what shoes we wear, or how we walk, or? It can. It can, absolutely. Um, if. You feel like you feel unsteady or you're when you're walking you feel unsteady, then that's something you should absolutely get checked by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Specifically a podiatrist or a neurologist to see if there is something, you know, off with your balance. Um, but the more, you know, sneakers are stable, if you're gonna be doing a lot of walking, absolutely wear a comfortable shoe with an arch support. Um Try to stay on like normal terrain. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah, definitely. So, okay. uh, Casey, I know we love our pedicures. Uh, what should we watch out for? I mean, we we hear about infections and you know uh, yeah. different problems. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so with pedicures, what I do recommend is that when you go to a pedicure salon. Um, make sure that they are using sterile instruments, meaning like they were ran through either an autoclave or a 
sterilization technique. Um, a sterilization technique, and usually these places have the instruments. You'll see the nail instruments, and you'll see them in um, like a plastic pack. Mm-hmm. And the plastic pack changes color. It has this little color indicator on it, and it'll change color, and that'll tell you if that, that salon uses sterile equipment. Um, another good thing is when salons put a plastic bin into the pedicure um, where you're soaking your feet. Mm-hmm. So your feet don't touch anyone else's feet during the pedicure, you know, whoever was there before. Right. And they take out the plastic bin and they throw it out. Because, like, germs can get transferred, fungus, bacteria, Whoever had came before you, you don't really know. You don't know how clean this place. You know, you know how clean, how well they clean those bins. Um, that can transfer some germs to you. So that those are little things that you can look for, and just like kind of look around the pedicure place. Does it look clean? Does it look dirty? Like, you know, are they are they like using the same instruments on everyone around you? Or are they are they actually cleaning them and sterilizing them? Mm-hmm. Um, it's always good too to like bring your own top coat and nail polish. Um, yes. Because why not? Like your nails chip, and there you go. You can fix it yourself, or and also nobody else uses it. So. Right, exactly. That's good. Yeah. That's a really good suggestion. So <laughs> yeah. nail, nail fungus seems to be, you know, something that's hard to get rid of. We see commercials all the time on TV for different types of treatments. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, or do you see a lot of that? I do see. I do see some nail fungus. Yes, um, nail fungus is very difficult to treat. Uh, usually, so what my patients sometimes confuse nail fungus with is females, well, we love painting our nails. If you leave your nail polish on for like a long period of time, say like you leave your nail polish on for about three weeks, mm-hmm. you take your nail polish off and your nails are kind of white underneath mm-hmm. um, or they look discolored, that's actually damage from nail polish. That is not nail fungus. Um, nail fungus is when there's an actual um, pathogen in your nail and it causes the nail to look really thick and yellow mm. and sometimes brown. It like discolors the nail and it makes it really super thick. Mm-hmm. If you feel like your nail has possibly fungus in it, you should 100% get a podiatrist or a dermatologist and get a nail biopsy done. Um, what a nail biopsy does is all we, all we do is just take a little snip of the nail and we send it to a pathologist. You have to take the nail bag too, and they will tell you if, in fact, there is a pathogen in your nail or if there's not, mm-hmm. and it's damaged to your nail. So there's a huge difference. Treating it over-the-counter stuff doesn't work. <laughs> you can try it for days. Like, I've had so many patients tell me, like, uh, use um, big vapor rub or, you know, doc, I put, I soaked my feet in salt water. Why is this not killing the fungus? Um, you really need prescription stuff. Uh, there's some really, really effective um, prescription topical right now that works pretty good called Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've used it on a lot of patients. It's pretty effective. And there's also oral pills, which are also very effective. Um, for fungus. Well, well, speaking about runners, too, I know one of the things that often happens with a runner's nail is that they get discolored because of the foot banging up against the front of the sneaker. Do you see that at all? 
Yes, um, that I see a lot in runners. So what that is, is just, it's sort of like a bruise to your nail. It's like when you get a black and blue um, that you hit, you know, you walked into something and you, you end up with a black and blue on your leg. The same thing is happening to underneath your nails. Um, it's called a subungual hematoma. Mm-hmm. And it's just essentially blood under your nail. It's just dead blood. And it's, it's, it's trauma to your nail. And sometimes the nail's going to fall out, but that's okay. It'll grow back. And I see that a lot in runners. Um, it does take a while for a, a toenail to grow back. And, and, and it takes about seven to eight months. So you want to try to prevent that from happening, but sometimes marathon runners, you just can't help it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. the cold weather's coming up, and so we spend a lot of time in thick socks and boots. Um, are there problems with that? With what? Thick socks? With, you know, keeping our feet uh, in boots that don't breathe very well or, you know, thick socks, yeah. cold weather, all of that. I mean, are, are there different things you see seasonally uh, during the I winter do. time? Oh, definitely. I see a lot more athlete's foot in the winter athlete's than I do foot. in the summer. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so when you, it's okay to wear thick socks. It's okay to wear your boots. When you get home, though, take them all off and let your feet get air. Mm-hmm. Like, bury your feet. Um, do not, also, do not wear these thick socks to bed. One thing patients do is that they wear socks to bed, their feet get sweaty, and then they end up with fungal infections because their feet just never get any air. So it's so important when you get home, Take your shoes off, take your boots off, take your socks off, and just let your feet get some air. Well, that's so interesting because I know a lot of people go to bed during the wintertime with socks on because they're cold. Yeah. <laughs> so they yeah, shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I mean, it's, it's important to not. You just have to warm your feet up. <laughs> right, right. Socks and socks, yeah. No, so, it causes athletes, but... Very interesting. So let's just deal with uh, the warmer climates if we're going off on, you know, uh, winter vacation to someplace warm. Anything we should be aware of there? Um, I mean, you could be aware of hyperhidrosis, just a lot of sweating in your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are, like, strange tropical diseases that, you know, one thing I did notice, I did see a patient with one time, um, it was, she got a parasite in his foot, but that's like, it's rare. I mean, these things are very rare. There's nothing that, just wear flip-flops around. Just don't walk barefoot when you're in a, in a foreign country. Just don't do it. Right, that's right. All I tell my patients. <laughs> just, you know, just use like, places you travel, you know, you don't know what's going on there. So you want to make sure you always wear shoes or flip-flops. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Casey, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Good luck at the marathon. Oh, thank you. And thank we, you re- so we, much. we hope that runners will follow your advice beforehand so that they will avoid injuries during the race. Yeah, I hope so too. I, um, you know, it's, it's so important that they stretch and they use the same sneakers they've been using. Don't use new sneakers for a race. Um, that's one of the most important things to note. Uh, just use the sneakers they've been using, and best of luck to them. That's a good point. <laughs> well, thank you so much. and uh, thank you very much for having me. Okay, and we're really hoping people will check your advice before they go out there and run, whether they're running a marathon or just doing it uh, for enjoyment. Thank you, Dr. Thank Casey. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye.